Yo, 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 Thought Warriors, watch and listen to Higher Learning, where we dissect the biggest topics in black entertainment, politics, and sports. Twice a week, we react to the most important and timely conversations, often inviting guests to offer unique perspectives. Listen to Higher Learning free only on Spotify. I'm glad we. Uh, I'm glad we're finally able to do this. It's, it's, the, to it's the first time you've taken your show to London, right? Uh, it's the first time. It's the first time any, I think, show in this in its iteration that we're doing it has gone as Overseas. far as we're going. Yeah, like I think like Conan and stuff does shows where he sort of, but he he doesn't really take. He goes and makes almost sort of travel documentaries, but we yeah. like we're really. It's a very ambitious thing to be doing with for our show like we're building a whole set in a it's like almost 5,000 people right it's 5,000 over the course of the three shows yes yeah. so it's yeah. like a 2,000 seat venue I think and yeah it's an old it's in Westminster Cathedral Hall which is sort of right opposite like Big Ben in the House of Parliament and uh, which was felt like a great idea a few months ago yeah because I was a bit like we can't go somewhere there's no point traveling the show to London and doing it in a TV studio. Do you know what I mean? We might as well just stay here and change the backdrop and tell everyone we're in London. <laughs> How would you ever know? You know, yeah. I was like, we've got to be somewhere that feels like it's of London. Yeah. But that's um, now that we're very close to doing it. Like I leave tomorrow. I can completely understand why you would go and do it in a television studio. Cause like it doesn't have a lighting rig and it doesn't have sound and it, all these things. But I don't know. It'll be fun. I think I'm the energy is incredible. I hope so. When, uh, I hope it will be. Well, you had, would you have like a million people wanted tickets for three days? Apparently so. Yeah, there was a, apparently there was a million requests for the three nights of tickets in, in the UK, which is, uh, incredibly, um, I don't know, overwhelming if you think about it too much, but you know, you never, I always think someone might be lying to me when they say stuff like that. That's just because it's I was really like 20,000. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'd sell for 20,000. That's all right. We only need five, but I just, yeah, but I don't know. It's apparently, yeah. Has it, yeah. Does it, I mean, you were really big in England before you came here. When you go back or do people say, Hey, how's it going? Or like, when are you coming back? Like, what's the attitude toward you? Um, there's been a real sort of, uh, I've really felt a, 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 a sort of outpouring of people saying, I don't know, of, I guess pride. I don't know if that's the right word, but that's certainly how it's felt that when I go home, people kind of say, oh, good for you. Because right. there's a lot of people have come from home and tried to do television shows in America um, and have come with sort of quite, have left Britain with quite a bluster. Yeah. said, I shall go to America and repeat my success there. And then they come back about a year and a half later and and making a sort of terrible sitcom in Britain, you know. And I, and I, I was very, I, I don't know, I sort of was fully expecting that to happen. So I don't know, I had no, I really didn't, I felt like the show would probably get cancelled at some point. Like genuinely, like we rented furniture for a while, my wife and Did I, because really? I was like, but we'll buy nothing because what's the chances, you know, of it ever working? I remember hearing when they picked you, thinking like, what the fuck are they doing? They're 
taking a British guy, put him at twelve thirty, and it's just it it was just I was surprised. Yeah, no, and that I think makes a lot two of people of felt that yeah, way. Oh, for sure. I mean, I thought it was a stupid thing to do. I thought it was a crazy decision at the time. But you now, wanted it though, right? You went to meet with Moonves for like a sitcom and you kind of got the idea to do a late night show instead? Not really. Oh, that's okay. not really. It's a, that's the, yeah. What happened was I had come, I had come to America and done sort of that, this thing of just going around to loads of meetings with casting directors and presidents of whatever network and stuff. And often those meetings are just dying of encouragement. You just die of encouragement of people saying, I'd love to work with you. This would be fantastic. Yeah. Well, I'll and talk you to you never in two hear weeks. From them again. Yeah. Um, and, but in these meetings, I had this idea. I had an idea for a television show for a, a sort of comedy drama, if you like. And at home, I had written two comedies, which had done very well. And it, in truth, I sort of felt like, I could only really repeat my success at home at best. Yeah. And the chances of that were probably quite slim. So it felt like somewhere I wanted to come and try and make a TV show. And I, I felt like, and, and in the end, I, to, to my absolute surprise, I had offers from sort of five networks, really. And, uh, and I decided that I was going to make my show for HBO. I thought I was going to write this TV show for HBO. It just felt like the right place to be it, to do it. And I was going to do a musical on Broadway. I was going to do a funny thing happen on the way to the forum, a Stephen Sondheim musical, which I was very much sort of uh, tentatively just starting to talk about doing. And CBS had made, without question, the most aggressive offer uh, financially, bar none. I didn't know this at the time, but Les Moonves, who's my boss, and Nina Tassler, who was the then president, had both seen me in a play on Broadway. And uh, and I sort of went to meet them in New York uh, because to explain to them my decision, really. And I was sort of going, look, I know you're disappointed, but don't be. I've done you a great favour. <laughs> Because you were going to overpay for this script. Yeah. The script I would hand in is never going to be on network TV. Believe me, if I felt I could write a multi-camera network sitcom, I'd do it tomorrow. Like, because that's, you're, you know what I mean? That's, that's the easiest Oh life. my God. Well, also you're, you're, you're set for the rest of your life. If you yeah. write Friends, forget about it. Done. I was like, but this show, this idea, it isn't that. And what's going to happen is you're going to, I'm going to hand in a script. You're going to hate it because you, and you're going to be annoyed that you paid to, so much money for it. You're going to get me to change it. I then in turn will hate you because you're changing it. It'll never get made and we'll never work together and we'll hate each other. I was like, so don't be disappointed. I'm saying I've done you a favor. You're never going to put this show on your network as it was dealing with very adult themes and yeah. It, you know, there was sex in it. There was swearing in it. There was, uh, and Stephen Colbert had just been announced uh, like a week before, and Craig Ferguson had just said he was stepping down. And I said, I told them that I felt um, that Stephen Colbert was an, an incredible appointment, and also more than that, the deft way that they handled it—they uh, didn't botch it at all. There was no rumor. There was no this, that, or the other. Letterman said he was stepping down. It was sort of radio silence for a week. And then bang, he was announced. There was yeah. no drip feed of information, no, all that stuff. And I sort of said, from when I'd done my, the, the two times that I'd worked in uh, New York was when I was in plays. And so I'd got quite got into kind of watching late night TV. And I said, I found that that 1230 slot is a, is a, a funny one. 
for a network like CBS. It was like, if you're just going to make another late night show, you just don't, don't bother. Like you've no, nowhere else in television. Would you say, uh, eight till nine, we're going to have a hospital drama. And then nine till 10, we're going to have a hospital drama with the same diseases as the one before, you know? And I was like, you've got to try and make a younger show. Yeah, at least NBC is Chicago, but they, they've there's fire and then there's police. There's fire and all yeah, this, you know, there's genres. CSI cyber and then there's yeah. CSI whatever the other ones are, you know? And I was like, you, you've got to make a show which will embrace the internet. You've got to make a show because the, the idea of that 12.30 slot and late night was quite a high propensity of people watching that were students. I think it's safe to say, you know, stoners, people up late watching TV. I was like, that's not how they consume their content anymore. Yeah. It's, I mean, it is to an extent if it's on, but you've got to make a show which will, can cast a wet, a net wider than that. And also there is no risk attached to this though, because you've got Steven and he, ever, you know what his show is going to be like, and you know that it's going to be great. So, and I wasn't pitching for it. Like I really wasn't, we were just sort of talking about television and where it's going and how this slot could really be a... So you're just giving them your theories on late night. I was like, I feel like this 12.30 slot is a gift uh, if you can embrace the internet. I was like, it can achieve a relevance past its time slot. How much know? did you know about embracing the internet at that point? Not a lot, but I knew that that's how... I had watched The Tonight Show yeah. in the last couple of years. Like, I was a huge fan of Jimmy Fallon's uh, in the UK where his show doesn't air. And I was like, I love this guy, but not, yeah. and, I, and it doesn't, the show doesn't air. It didn't then. matter that you Because I, you, I go on and I'll subscribe to that channel and I'll go and watch all this stuff. And, and uh, you know, that's just, that's just what I sort of felt it should be really. And uh, yeah, and then, and then, you know, and then we ended up. Then it just kind of snowballed. <laughs> yeah. Were you strange. scared to move here? I wasn't scared to move. I was scared of it. Yeah. But I didn't feel scared of moving. In fact, that if, if I, felt, I felt excited about moving, I, I sort of felt like I don't think anyone lies on their deathbed and goes, "Oh, I wish I hadn't lived in that other country for a while." Yeah. You know, there is no way you can't. Your life won't be enriched by just living somewhere else, and that's been an absolute truth for me and my wife and our children like it's uh it does a, it does a wonderful thing for a relationship when you go and move somewhere else because when you're at home you know you've got old friends new friends friends as, as you've got you've got your people who are friends of, of yours as a couple you've got your independent friends that you grew up with and you've got your friends who you perhaps go to work with and it's when you move 13 hours on a plane away or 12 hours on a plane away and it's just you, it's a really amazing thing. I've certainly felt that in my relationship with my wife, that this this time now, this past two years, it's you're going, well, we're in this, you and me yeah. together, and we've moved our children here, and we're going to build a life from scratch. And you you make friends, and then you think you've made friends, and you go, oh, I'm not sure I want to be friends with these people anymore. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, it's a really strange, it's a really weird sort of thing where yeah. you're choosing friends, whereas actually at home, I don't think I have that many new friends. 
most of my friends at home are people I've known since I was 23. Right. Then I'm, I haven't made any new friends in London in the last seven or eight years. Because I'm like, I well, very, these are my friends. I had a very similar thing because I moved out here in 2002. It was just me and my then fiance. Mm-hmm. And that was it. But I moved from Boston. Yeah. So I'm in the United States, but going from Boston to LA is basically like oh, moving to a different country. It would anyway. be easier for you to move from Boston to London. Right. It's easier. It's easier right, to move from New actually. York to London. Like moving London to New York, it feels almost exactly the same. Of course, it's different. It's it's wildly different. But the spirit and the core and the energy of the places are the same. Whereas moving to Los Angeles. That's smarter to do here, though. Well, the overwhelming reason was we were like, there's so many other shows yeah. there. We're never going to have a guest. Right. We'll never have a guest, you know? So, uh, but I'm very, very pleased to live here. I think it's a, What's been it's the a biggest, wonderful place. Biggest surprise for you about America that you didn't expect? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm almost, I'm reticent to even say I live in America, really. That's the biggest thing I've realized is that um, Los Angeles, California is, you know, this, this, it's uh, so, but my biggest thing uh, of living in Los Angeles, the thing I've been most overwhelmed by is that I think that there are more creative people in this city per square mile than anywhere else on the planet. And that's the thing that no one says about it. All people ever say about Los Angeles is they seem to talk about these people, they talk about, oh, fake people and this, that and the other, like there's none of them in London. Or, and I can name you a thousand. <laughs> or there's none of them in New York. Or there's none of them in Chicago. Right. It's like, of course those people are there. But my experience, like, of being here, you know, there are people here who I think are, they blow my mind in, in uh, their volumes of creativity. They make the fucking Simpsons here. Wherever they make the Simpsons, I'm like, I'm in. That's a good yeah. place. Because I don't understand how you can uh, make a show that's as good as that consistently, you know? I was shocked how many people move here to do something. You know, a lot of, yeah. most other parts of America, people are there because their parents were born there and they yeah, took yeah, over yeah. the house or whatever. Yeah. Here, everybody comes here. Mm-hmm. So the amount of transplants, I was shocked. Like, I'm from Boston. I know a million people from Boston here. Yeah. They're Chicago people and New yeah. York people and Texas people. And it goes on and on. Yeah. They all came here to achieve something. Do you find when you go back to Boston, because I find this, if I go to New York or I go... Uh, to certain pockets of London. Yeah. If it's raining, which it rains a lot in Boston, right? Or the weather's not it's, always... It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's about nine yeah. terrible months and yeah. three decent So there you months. go. That's, well, that's kind of London, really. Yeah. And I go home and I'll look at people and I want to go, I want to go over to them and go, you know, it doesn't have to be like this. I you say that to my dad. I say know, to my dad all the time. Yeah. He's still there. We have a writer on our show called Dickie Egan, who's a, a, a phenomenal writer and a brilliant brain. And he's from Boston. And he says, uh, he says to his brothers all the time, they'll be, they'll moan about the weather or whatever, and he'll go, just move, move over here. It's amazing. You have a garden. You right. have a, it's you sunny know. every day. Yeah. You know what it is? Because I've talked to people back there about it. It's almost like when people are in prison and they learn how to make the best of the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's great. I get to go in the yard every couple yeah. hours a day. And- I don't have any bills. I've yeah. got no... No one banging on my door saying, where's your rent money? Food's taken yeah. care of. You start rationalizing it. And in Boston, they like, they well, I love the seasons. I'd miss the seasons. It's like, what are the seasons? 
The seasons are, it's terrible for seven months a (laughs) year. And then it's 97 degrees for two months a year. And then somewhere in the middle of that are these fun 10 weeks. Well, also you sort of, you, you, um, you start to talk about a life that you don't have. People say, oh, no, but I can go to so many museums. I can go to so many restaurants. And I look at them, I go, you haven't been to a fucking museum in years. (laughs) You haven't been, you're not at MoMA every weekend. You're not, you go to the same three restaurants. You, you, like, it's just, yeah, you know. I was back there two weeks ago for, to go to a Celtic game, last week, actually. And the weather had gotten nice and people just poured outside. Like well, that is when like, they, they haven't even gotten their great. jogging bras on yet. They're outside. But that running. is when it's great. And that's yeah. the only thing I, I do miss here is the very notion of being in a public city. Yeah. New York, London, Boston, from what I've never been, but from what you're saying about it, when the sun's out and people get out on the street and you walk the around spirit and of you, that you, that is a thing. Cause Los Angeles, what I've realized isn't really a city. It's a collection of disparate towns. And what you have to do is find the town that you want to... I would even say it's territories, not towns. Yeah, it's maybe. Like, gang, <laughs> like it's like, give you your little gangs over here, your little gangs over there, and then everybody I just kind of drifts from in, gang to gang. I live in Brentwood, so I'm sort of... I'm, I, I, it's never really felt like well, we're you, in a gang. No, no, I don't, I don't, I don't mean gang gang. I mean, no, I you know, know what I mean. I know, I'm joking. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, so I do miss that feeling of of a of a public city, of getting out and seeing. Well, you said you'd people. never been to Boston, so mm. I went to London for four weeks for the Olympics. Oh yeah, wow! Which was like the best family trip I've oh, ever man. had. Yeah, it's great. And London, you remember I was there when in London, thinking, oh yeah, London built Boston because it's very similar. Yes, it yes, yeah, and it's even like a better version of Boston because there's even like more drinking. There's better public There's a lot transportation, of for just sure. people pouring out at yeah. three in the afternoon. And and when we were there, just by chance, the weather was beautiful. It was. Well, so on, everybody was so oh, happy. Everyone's so happy. It when the sun shines. Yeah. It was There's the best. nowhere else I'd rather be than sat on Primrose Hill in London. I would I would take it over the southern coast of Italy, the south of France, Barcelona, Mexico. And uh, Miami Beach, I would take it over everywhere because on a, on a hot sunny day, if you're lucky enough to be in London town, you will see a spirit of people which is uh, unmatched anywhere else. And we, when we were there, everybody in London was worried about we're not ready for the Olympics. The weather's going to be terrible. Of course, this is going to be a disaster. But that's that's goes back to and my then feeling the about the show. Yeah, 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 that's that's just how you're brought up. It's uh, <laughs> it's not glass half empty. It's just, you know, I'm lucky I got a glass, you know? Yeah. I don't know what's in it. We'll find out. You know, it's a lot of that. (laughs) So you come here. How Mm. long did you take to plan the show? How many months? Oh, no. Well, we only had, uh, we had 11 weeks from arriving to our first show. Yeah. And when you showed up, you you hadn't even hired a staff yet? We'd hired six people. So we had to hire another 70 I think oh my god uh and build a set and work out what the show was and find a band for Reggie and and uh and everything really we had to do everything we had to build everything everything you see on the thing was done between sort of yeah January yeah January yeah it's about yeah it was like three months I moved out here in 2002 to work for Kimmel when he was launching his show. Right, yeah. Because we were friends and uh-huh. then it just happened. And yeah. that three months goes by so fast. All of a sudden there's a hundred people there and there's a band and a stage and you're planning it. And it's just, you're like, wow, the, the, that date's coming soon where we're going to launch yeah. this thing. 
and it's like in in speed mode. Yeah, it's a very strange time, really, because certainly if you're the host of a show, what I realised is when you're in that period of, of gearing it up and getting everything together and tonally trying to think what it is and going out and shooting stuff and things like this, you start, and I'd never really hosted a show like this before, and you start to think, you start to feel like you're on a, you are, you're just on a team. Yeah. You're on a team and you start to even feel like, oh, well, I'm just one of the team. I'm just one of the team here. And then very, very slowly on the day that you're going to air, which our first date was like March 23rd, people start to tap you on the shoulder and go, hey, good luck out there. Hey, good luck. Hey, yeah. rooting for you, man. Hey, good. And very slowly people start to leave you and you make this walk on your own until it comes to a point where the last person goes, all right, have a good one. And you're stood behind a curtain looking at the sort of backward reflection of a spotlight thinking, oh, I'm not on a team at all. This, I'm yeah. just on my own now. And this curtain's going to open and I'm going to walk out. I'm going to say hello. And I don't know if people are going to go, nah. Right. <laughs> or, oh, okay, yeah. And, uh, and it's incredibly daunting. And, and especially knowing where we were and how gobsmackingly unknown it all was and I was and we were like it was crazy that we didn't even have guests for show sort of six when we launched that too. like zero no one you nothing. get the first two first two shows you get the good ones and then all of a sudden you're scrambling until everybody's well, we kind of waiting to, to see if it's going to be good just had to, well, I, we just had to call in favors and I spent about sort of four days just driving around publicists offices just going promise you yeah i'm not a bad guy it's going to be okay and and more than that like we were then asking people we were saying look we're going to we're going to bring all our guests out at the same time and you would meet publicists who would say well my client would never do that my client won't sit with someone else and luckily for us there's a a show in the uk called the graham norton show which i I've, oh yeah you know been watching so that's a show I've seen years. on YouTube a bunch of times. It's a brilliant show. Yeah. It's a brilliant talk show. And luckily for us, we had the knowledge of that show and I was able to go, no, but you, your client did though. Yeah. I saw your client like a month ago, <laughs> sat next to such and such and such and such. Yeah. And also just so you know, they were brilliant on that show. I would say it's the best interview I've seen them give and publicists would go, <clears throat> right, well, okay, yeah, fine, well, we'll see how we go, you know. And it was a lot of that. It was it was a real, like, I couldn't get in our building without my pass a month after we'd aired. Well, you're talking about the structure of what late night shows were supposed to be for those publicists, where it's like, my client's going to come out. Lead guest, second for eight guest, minutes. third guest music. You done. have three stories. Yeah. You're going to lead them toward the three stories. Mm. You're going to show a clip. Yeah. It's going to be seem like it's ad lib, but it's really not. And then they leave. Yeah. And they don't have to worry about what might happen in that structure. Of course. Yeah. But if they're ad-libbing and they're sitting next to like Gary Busey, something crazy happens. Like who the well, hell knows? I could knows? see their point if that was the case. <laughs> I, I, think, I, I really feel if that's the case, I'm on the publicist <laughs> side on that one. And I think if our show ever gets to that point, I'm saying to you now, Gary I want you to get in the car, drive to the studio, tap me on the shoulder and go, James, it's done. It's time it's to go home. Busey if, harassed another guest. If, if I'm sat in our show and Busey's there, <laughs> I'm saying to you, Bill, I want you to come down, All right. get in and go, I'll drive my car through the studio. Time's up. It's so, time to go back to London. 
<laughs> it must have flipped with the publicist once. So once they the carpool karaoke thing, all of a sudden they're trying to get. I'm sure you had like a million people trying to get their clients into that car with you. Um, yes, I think so. I mean, I don't, I don't hear oh, you can, a lot you don't of, have to be about that. No, I'm not. I'm saying, but I don't, I don't hear a lot about that because we have sort of, we've, we've, as soon as that segment felt like it was a thing and was yeah. becoming a thing, we ha- we felt like we had to implement our own rules, really, and go, uh, well, okay, we have to sort of try and protect this. Uh, look, we could do it every week if we wanted. We've only put out two this year, and they were in the last eight days. Well, yeah, you have a danger a danger like, element to that, where yeah, if you beat it in the ground, exactly, it's not fun anymore. Exactly. So we were like, we have to preserve this only for uh, the biggest or most relevant uh, music artists in the world. Yeah. And that's it. We cannot break that rule. So of course I want to get in the car and do it with, I don't know. A hundred people. I'd love to, but like nothing would give me more joy than driving around in a car and singing songs with Will Ferrell. It would be, and it would be amazing TV, but we got, we feel like we have to keep it in that sort of rarefied air because that's the only way it will ever sort of sustain itself, really. So you're trying to do like five a year, maybe? I mean, look, we, we never put a number on it because yeah. it just comes around to who's got albums out, who do we think is interesting, who's got a tour to promote, and who, you know. Uh, and, of course, there's a list of names where you're like, they're the golden names, If you know. If Billy Joel's around, like nothing would give me more joy than doing it with Billy Joel. You haven't so done that's Billy Joel yet, though, right? Have you? No, God, no, no, no. I was going to say I would remember it because my daughter's seen, I think, all of these, and I would remember the Billy Joel. Yeah, no, he's amazing. So who knows? You know, we'll see. We've, we've got. Yeah. Can you explain to me? I I, I hate asking about carpool karaoke because I know Why? everybody asks you about it. Sorry. Right. So you're driving. Yes. Very close to these studios we drive. Where are you driving? What neighborhoods? How this, fast this are you going? Here. We basically, uh, well, I mean, obviously it depends where we are. So the Adele one we did in London, Madonna we did in New York, but predominantly we're here. Uh, we drive in a convoy. There's a, a car in front of us, two cars behind us, and one car that will drive around or alongside or get, you know, exterior shots of the car or whatever. And Do people know it's your Convoy or no? no? Not okay. really. I mean, if we stop at the lights and they see it's Katy Perry or whatever, then yeah. yeah. But predominantly, we uh, the rule is we just drive in a straight line away from the sun. Away from the sun. So you don't get like weird mirror shadows on your face yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, So that's kind of it. So we just, we get on normally on like Beverly and drive as far as we can. I think up. it's really impressive you're driving. That you're, but it's that you're singing Los Angeles, so you're driving in increments. <laughs> Let's be clear. I'm driving point. in. I'm driving in Hollywood. You're going two blocks. between the hours of 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. Yeah. Where really, how fast can you ever be going? <laughs> so I'm very relieved of the stops. Like it's great. I'm and still impressed. Thank you. Yeah, my, my wife can't drive when she's not singing with Adele. Right. She can't drive. I mean, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. just that's it. We just we just try and. Yeah, that's it really. I'm very you, I'm very proud of it. I really am. I know that like sometimes you sort of shouldn't be, but I really am. Well, I mean the YouTube views are it's I, yeah, I can't, can't even imagine But I mean, you can't associate success to like that. I'm sort not of associating thing. the success. Like, I'm talking about like just how many countries must have seen it. I think that's probably the coolest part. I can't but what's even imagine. interesting for us is outside of like YouTube, 
when we launched two years ago, we were on in eight countries. And I think we're now on in 152. Wow. And that growth is only really down to it's the show's relevance on the internet, which then makes other territories say we'd like to buy that show because we see that people love it here and yeah. it gets picked up on morning news in Finland or whatever that we've done a bit with Orlando Bloom or whatever it is and some network chief somewhere says, oh, we should buy that show. People like it. And that's like, I'm, I'm very, because we want to make a profitable show for our network and I feel like in, we just know that making a show at 12.37 at night, we can't ever really move the dial when it comes to um, ratings, we can't we can't move that. No, people don't change the channel at twelve thirty seven. So we have to make a show which can be consumed all throughout the day. Like I don't know how old your daughter is that you just mentioned, but twelve. I, yeah, I doubt she's ever watched our show when it's on television. Never. My my kids don't watch television cable, cable channels. Yeah, of course, and they just watch everything on Hulu and Netflix and YouTube. Yeah, and on their phone and, and that's, Amazon. And so we we feel we have to be a show that is at the forefront of that digitally. It's interesting because I've known Kimmel for 15 years at, and as this changed, because YouTube didn't really even no. show up to 06. No. And then around 09, it became a way to cheat on actually watching the show. Yeah. You just catch up on it. Yeah. I came from the generation, like I'm a Letterman guy. That was my guy. Yeah. It was like, if you miss Letterman, that's it. You that's missed it. it. Yeah. If your VCR screwed up or whatever, it was gone. And then somebody told you, Oh, did you see it last night? And you were like, nah, I missed it. And that's why I think there's no, there's none of this sort of much as people would love to create it. There's none of this kind of friction or, uh, or stuff between like hosts anymore. Yeah. Cause People don't have to choose one person. People don't have to make a choice. It's, it's all true. there. They can choose to watch, you know, this show at that hour and know that tomorrow I'm going to watch these segments and this segment. Like, you know, we I don't even I couldn't tell you what our sort of Nielsen number is. I don't know, but I I do know. I know how many subscribers we have on YouTube. I know how many people watch the show on Facebook Live. I know all of those numbers are the numbers that I know. And the social media kind of just being relevant. Well, that's all I think late night's about. Yeah. It's all it's ever been about. Being in the, in the I conversation. Don't that, I don't think late night's changed. I just think the way that people consume it has changed. Because if back when Letterman and Steve Martin had their big day out, yeah. that would have been millions of people would have watched that on YouTube today. When he dunked himself covered in Rice Krispies into a huge thing of milk, Probably four and or that five. That was a huge part of the show. Four the first or five four years. million people yeah. would have watched that clip, and when he put up a new Petrix, people would have watched it. When Leno does a jaywalking, people would have watched it. The very notion of of the content that you're putting out hasn't changed, and all we ever try and do is think of our show: what's the beginning, the middle, and the end? What's in part four? What's in part two? What's in part six? But knowing that our show will be consumed and live over here, and that's the space that I'm kind of more interested in anyway because it's a truer number it's a truer number it's a number where we're not reliant on a big football game or a playoff final or a big drama or award show to move the needle and sometimes you're even drafting off the primetime lineup or the show before you stuff like that it can go back to 8pm yeah like let's not forget these shows were created 
by networks to go, people will fall asleep with the TV on. Right. And when they turn it back on in the morning, it will be on that channel. True. So if we boost our last show at night, we'll boost our morning number. That's where it came from. And it's a fixed cost. Mm. They pay you, they pay your staff, they yeah. already have the studio, yeah. and it's just the same number every year. That's it. So With the ad sales, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's why late night will never go away. I mean, really, where it is now is a pretty good place because you still have, I'm sure you love the conversations. I'm sure you see the guest list. Like, oh, that's great. I can't wait to talk to that person. Oh, but yeah. Then you're oh, still um, able to be relevant with the social stuff and you're hitting basically in two different places. Oh, but also, uh, but the, the, when you said like the conversations, you know, we had a, Jim Carrey was on our show on Tuesday. Yeah. And his, his interview, he and I, there's a, there's a sort of four minute part of that interview we sort of break up our interviews into probably four or five minute segments online. One of those is at like 800,000 views, which is like just a one four minute clip of an interview and the next one's at six and the next one's at three. You know, it just, I don't know. I just think it's a truer number. How much does the audience affect what the decisions you make with the show day to day? In the room? Yeah. Uh, massively for us. Um, we have quite a young crowd at our show, which can, which is wonderful. It's brilliant. But, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Always. And then they, they don't, yeah, we always think about our audience, but then I also think that we have some, we have, we have a bit on our show. It is so stupid. It might be the stupidest thing we've ever done on our show called dogs in sunglasses. It's utterly ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's so stupid. I don't know if you've been on the internet. There are so many pictures of dogs wearing sunglasses. And so we've written this, we've written this thing where we go, uh, I do it very straight. And I go, I want to talk to you about this guy. Let me tell you about this guy. And it'll be a dog wearing sunglasses. And I go, this guy, if this guy says there ain't nothing wrong, there ain't nothing wrong. Or like, let me see, is that an actual dog in sunglasses? Yeah, look. So look, look how many dogs are wearing sunglasses. You can't move. So what we do is uh, we'll pull up this guy and we'll go, let me talk to you about this guy. This guy blew out his knee in a rollerblading, uh, blew out his knee in a rollerblading accident, which prevented him from ever competing professionally. And now he owns a tanning salon. And you know, and this was where, and then who the one that says, uh, "This guy, this guy's going to spot you alone. This guy'll spot you alone, and he's going to say there's no timeline on this and no interest." Did you have? But you're going to have to suck his dick. <laughs> <laughs> and that in our room in the audience is met by the single most confused faces I've ever seen. But we go. I don't know, me and our star, our writers, we go, I know, I just know that there might be nine perplexed, per 10 viewers at home, there might be nine perplexed faces, but there's one person's going, this they is really it. tickling me and you can't leave them out. So that's a segment for them, for sure. I mean, that's the best thing about that time slide is you can get wonky every once in a while. Oh man, yeah, no, we love it. Especially we, like around the 115, 122 range. Uh, you, uh, yeah, but the whole thing, we love it. I mean, like... We love, uh, that's why we've done, we, we did it, we've done it a couple of times. I think we're going to try and do it again. We've gone and just done a show in someone's house and that's been completely organic. We've yeah. never prepped a house, nothing. We've got a permit for a street, guests in a van. 
and we walk down the road, knock on the door and say, can I come in and shoot? And the, the, and what we want to do is get part one with no cuts. So people will say no, or people aren't home or someone on an intercom says, absolutely not. And then the few times we've done it, people have said, yeah. And we go, when we come back, we're doing the show in this house. And I love it. That's when I really enjoy it. How many years now has it been? Two. What's been the highlight so far? Oh man, I don't know. Was there one moment that you let go? This is when I knew the show was going to make it. I don't know. I, I don't mean this the way it sounds. It sort of felt like that from the end of the you first show, it. actually. Well, yeah. no, I wasn't confident before that show, but at the end of that show, when it came out, I was like, oh, this is... We got I it. I felt like... I don't know. I'm very proud of how quickly we found our feet, of how we just sort of hit the ground running. We knew that we didn't have a relationship with an audience where they would give us the benefit of time. Yeah. We knew that people were going to make up their mind on the show and me very, very quickly. Uh, and other there's, there's other hosts who, you know, if you've been on a, a huge show for a decade, you're going to have a group of people who are going to give you a shot and give you a chance, you know? Um, so I, I can't, I don't know if I can pin it to like a moment, but like, I don't know. We won like those two Emmys last year and which was incredible. And then we won a, the Critics' Choice Award where we were up against like Kimmel and John Oliver and yeah. shows that I just love, a daily show, you know? And, um, and to win that was like, wow. But I think it's all been a joy. It would be hard to pick a, I don't know. It's quite weird when you're in like the White House with the First Lady and Michelle Obama, and she's saying, I, I've, "I've always wanted to do this," and you're thinking, "Oh my God, I'm from High Wycombe, you know, in Buckinghamshire. This is this is lunacy. It's all been a very. It'll be even better when you have Melania. I mean, I feel like you're <laughs> joking, but it might be, you know. It genuinely might. If that day ever comes. If you get Melania to do carpool karaoke, I'm I guarantee so you'll get some views. I'm so interested to see what she would say about stuff. I do you know I did a play uh, in 2012 on Broadway and uh, I, I brought Donald Trump up on stage because there was a bit in our show where I would always bring someone up on stage yeah. uh, to help me move this piece of scenery. And... Every night in New York, there would be wonderful people came to see the show. Like Gene Wilder's in one night and Tom Hanks is in another night. And it was really incredible. And uh, you can't bring those people up on stage because it could be seen as almost disrespectful. But like Trump, I was talking to my friend Ollie before the show. I was like, you can't really lose because half the audience don't like him anyway. Yeah. So if we bring him up, we'll win with either all of the crowd or half of the crowd. And Do I either said, hate watch it or they'll watch it. Yeah. So I said to Ollie, I was like, I'm going to see. And with that play that we were doing, One Man, Two Governors, you can you can tell what the rest of the show is going to be like within the first 15 minutes. You know whether this is an audience who's up for it or aren't. And that can be dependent on the weather or whatever, whatever it is. And they were a little slow and they were a little cold. And I was like, I'm bringing him up. And so I just grabbed him. I brought him up on stage. I was spanking him. <laughs> I, uh, I fired him. And Melania was there, and yeah, she like sent me an email that night going, "Oh, it was so funny, it was lovely." And you defended Fallon after the hair thing, right? A couple months later. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
it's not that I, I, I it's, it's not even, I don't think even defend is the right word. I was just like, I don't think you can just mock one. Go back, watch everyone's interviews with him. Yeah. Watch Kimmel's interview with him. Or Stephen Colbert's interview with him, or the time where he called in on a phone to Colbert's monologue, and then watch Jimmy's one where he ruffles his hair. It's like no one took it seriously. No one was asking the right questions. Yeah. And Jimmy's the, the only thing, the only reason people are outraged at Jimmy's one is it's a. There are people outraged at that who haven't even watched that interview. They've just seen a gif or a meme of him ruffling his hair. They've seen outrage trending over here, and they too are outraged without anything. And you've got to watch them all. You've got to watch them all. You've got to watch everybody's I mean, he hosted interview. SNL, like, what, See, eight, nine precisely. months before that? F- four months before that. Yeah. You know? I think it was the timing of it that hurt Fallon that time. Because it was so... It was... It had passed the point where it wasn't like, oh, Trump, he's trying to... Now, then people are like, oh, my God, he might actually win this. And I think that's what backfired on him more than anything. No, I just think the internet is a wonderful place to whip up a storm. And well, I don't that, think... Well, that, that's don't definitely think, true. I don't think it's fair. I also don't believe that late night hosts should be your barometer for where your interview is or what, whether they should be the people that are asking the, the best questions. Like, right. um I don't know that you should look to your late night hosts for your news or opinion. Uh, and it's a strange thing today because it sort of feels like that, that might be the case. Well, it's definitely helped Colbert. Last, last couple months, I think, I think him and, and Seth Myers have definitely, you know, gotten behind in the politics thing and it's helped. Of course, because 100% because there's no, who are the other voices? The the most mystifying thing I've found in America is, um, since moving here, is a lack of Democratic Party leadership. Yeah. Who are the opposing voices? Who are the opposition party? Who are they? Who's the leader? But but it's a strange thing because... um, the notion of running that party is a quest to be president one day. It's probably going to, it's not going to happen for like two years and whoever gets chosen will be the person that runs for president as opposed to going, wouldn't it be better to go, let's find our leader now. And then in 18 months time, that very person, what a great position they'll be in to then run for presidency as already having been the leader of this party for 18 months. No, America loves like the late coming person nobody saw coming. It's not even the late coming yeah. person. There's no people. Who is it? <laughs> maybe, Who's maybe, running? Maybe they're coming. No, but who is it? I'm, 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 I'm kind of serious. I would love to know. Because like Jeremy Corbyn has been running, the, there's an election going to happen at home in a few weeks. Jeremy Corbyn's been the leader of the Labour Party for the last, a minimum of 18 months, if not longer. Yeah. So, and now he's just running for election. And when our election takes seven weeks, by the way, it's a much smaller country. Yeah. So, so when, it, when there are a lack of voices, what you end up looking to are the people who are saying just anything. Just someone say something to a group who are, as it stands in this country right now, the majority, 
of people who didn't vote for Donald Trump uh, are, who's the leader of the Democratic I don't understand it. It's, it's mystifying to me that the Democratic Party haven't held an election to elect who will be their leader and that person will run for the, to be the president of the United States for the Democratic Party next time. And you can sort of get rid of another group of 15 people turning up and, and massive debates and all these things. Just do it now. Do it today. Do it now and lead that party and lead that voices so that when that election comes, people know who they, where they stand and what people stand for. And then you don't end up in this position right now. Tommy, you want to applaud? <laughs> Am I wrong though? I, I, no, I, I you're just, right. I feel like, because I feel like what happens is you go, well, what, what do you stand for? What do you stand for? And that's all you want to know from a politician. But when it ends up and it's almost sort of... It's, it's like American Idol. There's that many people auditioning and there's the heat rounds and you make it to boot camp and then the debates and the thing. It's not show business. It's politics. Yeah. You know? So that's why I think... Well, when we have President The Rock in 2020, I think it'll all be fine. Well, I mean, yeah, probably. But who knows, you know? He saw the San Andreas Fault earthquake... You know? Yeah, but you could have done that. If you were there at the same time, you'd have, you'd have made the same choices. We all would, you know. But, I, yeah, I find it very strange, that. And I find the... Is your, is your home country in better shape now politically, do you think? Are you optimistic? I don't know what sort of shape we're in. Um, I sort of worry about, like, Brexit. I was sort of very opposed to that happening. Um so we'll see. It's just it's a it's a sort of astonishing time politically. Isn't you think it? it's more chaotic there or here right now? Um I think it's probably I don't know. I mean it's hard. It's hard because of the those I haven't been there for a while. So yeah. I don't I don't know. It's hard for me to say where it's where it might be more chaotic or not. But it's also a far smaller country. I mean, you can yeah. fit Britain into Texas 280 <laughs> times, you know, like that's how vast America is. So it's difficult to sort of compare the two really, you know? So I spent, yeah, four weeks there. The things that jumped out to me, the, the day drinking was phenomenal. Yeah just the spirit of that. And it always, it always seemed like it was Friday at three o'clock, but like every day was like that. Yeah. Um, which, you know, here it's really only Fridays like that. Uh, how much, how much I walked mm -hmm. and hopping on subways and it was great. It was like the best things I've liked about Boston and New York, but way better. Yeah. It's just, you're always kind of on the move and going uh -huh. here to there, all that stuff. Um, and people were just friendly, you know? And it made me think like, here in LA, the, the one thing I don't like that much about LA is what everybody says about being trapped to your car and you're just going from point A to point B to yeah. point C. And, um, well, there isn't a sense of community here. No. Community doesn't exist because there isn't a middle. There isn't a center. I mean, I drive around LA and sometimes I think, did no one think to just build something? <laughs> Some form of monument, anything. Give yeah. us a fountain. Give us something. Give us a, just a, give us a sort of central point. It's the Staples Center and the Shack statue. Yeah, I don't know if that's <laughs> enough. And and so 
that sense of community in yeah. Britain is really quite astonishing. Um which I do think you have in New York, and I do feel like you get in Boston. Certainly, you the get a sense Coast of sort of pride. It. Chicago you know? has it too. Yeah. San Francisco, some parts have it. Yeah, but as There's far as all over the place, but as far as the drinking goes, it is um, it is astonishing. I don't know. I feel like if you have two glasses of wine here in LA, if you have four glasses of wine, more oh realistic. If you scandal. have four glasses of wine in LA, someone's calling an intervention. If you have four glasses of wine in Britain, you're the designated driver. Do you know what I mean? Like that's how yeah. ridiculous it is. <laughs> and the, a lot of uh, smoking too, which I had forgotten. It was like a lot of a lot of cigarettes. And just, it was old school. Well, I think the smoking is getting less. Are they kind of back, finally? I think so, yeah. Well, I certainly hope so, but I think so. Um, You know, as as younger generations are coming through. But that it's that sort of culture of the pub, of going to the pub, you know? Sitting in the pub, few drinks, your mates, which is actually, I have to say, never been a massive part of my life, really. I'm not a huge drinker. Um, And if I do, I never really drink like a pint of lager. I quite like a vodka cranberry, you right. know? <laughs> so it's like I'm quite sort of, I guess, effeminate in that way. Uh, the uh, the walk to Wimbledon was incredible. To the Wimbledon? Wa- the yeah. walk to, like getting off at the, the train stop yeah. and then it's like this 10 minute when you're like, yeah. is it really here? And then it's like, yeah, you're it's like, I feel like right. I'm in a housing yeah. estate. Are we, are we in the right spot? Yeah, and then you just happen And upon, then all of a sudden there it is. And they're like, and it's so classy, Wimbledon. It's the best. It's so classy. It's so cool. I love it. There's no big advertising billboards or hoardings nah. anywhere. There's just nice a, a class to it, which I think is probably the best of... Britishness. And Wembley was staggering just the size. Wembley Stadium. Yeah. yeah. It was just like, whoa. Because yeah. we saw, I think, the gold medal, medal women's soccer game there. And right. It was just like, oh my God, this is just a lot of people. Who is your team? Do you have one? I support West Ham United, who are uh, East London uh, Premier League football team. We've been relegated three times in the last sort of 15 years. But. Uh, they are the team for my sins that I have chosen. I but that's we, good though, right? Yeah. It's better to root for that than the like Manchester United. Well, it that's just means so much if we win anything. Yeah. You know, it means the world. Like, not that we ever do, but should we ever win a trophy? You can look at Leicester City and be like, that could be us someday. Yeah. Probably not. But <laughs> that's we, what Leicester uh, City said. No, I know. And I listen, it's the hope that kills you. We have a song that we sing called I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles is like West Ham's song. And there's a bit in it where it says fortune's always hiding. I've looked everywhere, but I'm forever blowing bubbles, pretty bubbles in the air. United, United, United. And that's our song. And nothing will tell you more about the state of a team's fans than if their own song, they've talked about how there's really how no fortune anywhere. That's yeah. why Boston and the, and the England always had the connection. Because Boston, until we started winning titles the last 12 years, was always fatalistic. Yeah. The worst possible thing. That was the Red Sox mentality. Yeah. The worst thing's going to happen at all times. Yeah. And England's great at that. World Cup, do you get on the bandwagon for that one? Oh, yeah. I love it. The World Cup's the greatest. And England has a checkered history. Well, yeah, but so do most teams. But the World Cup in itself. Yeah, England's pretty checkered. There's some checkers. But my, Yeah, but same as Uruguay. And you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like you know, it's, I'm saying there's a lot of teams. Uruguay. No, I'm saying there's a lot of teams. It's every team in the world. And so it's not that it's... 
you know, yeah, it's not that it's checkered. We just, I just love the World Cup in in its. We even we created a TV show at home on ITV that went live after the World Cup. Yeah. Me and my best friend, Ben, who's the exec producer of the yeah. Late Late Show here, we were like, we created a TV show just on the sole purpose that we could then watch the World Cup every day and make a show after it. It's that good. It's amazing. I wish America would get into football and stop it's, sort of... It's happening. The last This decade has been the decade that it's starting to happen. I know, but it's never really going to happen it's, it's until... It's not going to be like what England's but like. But it's never going to happen until the MLS understands the joy and the beauty of defending. Like oh, a wow, one nil. A 1-0 win. A stealth shot at the MLS. No, but a 1-0 win is a great thing. Yeah. But the MLS is triple A. A nil-nil draw, a 0-0 draw, is every MLS owner's worst nightmare. Right. It's like, oh my God, there were no goals. Sometimes we'll have a nil-nil. It's an exhilarating, wonderful game. But if you if you now watching the MLS, if you get used to these winning games 6-4... Seven three four one. Like I think we have we scored four goals in a game once this season, right? In like forty games, you know. So the MLS is doing better than I thought it would do, but it's still. I love it. I mean, the amount of people, the amount of people at the Galaxy, and I love the Galaxy. I love the ground. I love the stadium. I love the team. I think it's awesome, and I think it's great. I just think you've got to kind of, but you know, the way you, the sport here is so strange. Like I've got really into basketball since I've moved here. That oh. I feel like that's the game I respond it's most to sport. yeah I think it's the game I respond most to and going to watch the Clippers and stuff is amazing but it really is insanity that you would play that many games just for a playoff position 82 and then you go into the playoffs it's just insane people were talking because LeBron had all this rest and then was playing great in the playoffs mm. with the rest and people are like this is what it would be like if they had a Premier League schedule where they play twice a week and LeBron was rested for yeah. every game. He would yeah. be incredible. 100%. Who replaced Beckham as like kind of the prince of, of, uh, of English sports football? Ring? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was a well, pretty big void. Beckham, well, after Beckham, we had players like Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, who were still playing. Yeah, but not, none of those guys were on the Beckham level, though. As players, they were. Not, not, no a, but not as like. Icon. Oh, yeah, but that's then you're talking about. You're talking about commercials and endorsements. That's but, what I'm, that's what I'm but asking. But you've never sounded more American no. than you did just then. I'm saying like the big the big guy, the great guy who also gets all the spoils. Like we right now, we have Durant, we have LeBron, we have Westbrook, and, you know, the guys who have kind of transcended the sport. Is there anyone like that now for. Well, people would tell. I'm sure there would be many people who would tell you that Steven Gerrard. And what he did for Liverpool w was like astounding. Like it was a, and he was a absolute superstar. But no one, I don't think, has filled David's void of being quite so magnificent. Yeah. At uh, at being a uh, brand, if you like, like he is a he is just a model spot. And then what what was incredible about David was that he was like a phenomenally gifted player. Who could who could uh, curl free kicks into a top left hand corner and was just like outrageous to watch and was incredible. But now we have we have some players coming through now. We have a player called Deli Ali, who, to my absolute annoyance, plays for Tottenham, and Harry Kane, who's a striker. And those two look like they're genuine like world beaters. They're genuinely incredible players. When Beckham came here, people don't know anything about soccer here, so he comes and. And it's like, this guy has amazing crosses. Mm. 
And people are like, what? Like, yeah. does he score? How many goals did he have? And it's like, no, that's not, that's not what's good about watching Beckham. Yeah. Like Gerard's same thing where it's like, it's, it's the attention to detail. Well, yeah, and some yeah, of the stuff that wasn't goals was well, what made them my, great. That's my point about America and football is it will, well, it will only... They don't it, get it. Yeah, but that's the same as I don't get baseball. I mean, I right. don't get baseball at all. I feel like I'm watching You're not a group of much. people I don't know have a picnic. Like, that's it. <laughs> that's what I'm seeing. I'm like, yeah, I can pay to watch people have a picnic. That's so long as we all understand that's what we're doing. Yeah. A thousand times in a three month window of summer. Um, but I'm well aware, painfully aware that the reason I don't get into baseball is because I don't really understand it. I don't well, that's really understand. Most people here were like with soccer. They didn't yeah. understand that there could be an awesome one, nothing game. Yeah. People are like, well, 100%. I don't understand. Nobody score. Why don't they? What if they got rid of offsides? And yeah. Well, I heard, a, I heard a story once that there was a, a there was an owner, I can't remember where it's from. There was an owner, I think he was a Chinese owner, bought a a, a a soccer team, and their defender, they had a defender who was on a massive wage, maybe on like a hundred yeah. fifty grand a week or whatever. And he was looking at the wage bill for the team, and he's he immediately said about. He said, "I'm not, I'm not paying this. He's only scored twice in the last year." And they were like, "Yeah, he's a defender." <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You know, if they don't score, we've got a better chance of winning, right? You know, it's that notion of the art of defending. That's it. Do you have a pick between Barcelona and Real Madrid? Real Madrid, have you have you picked not really. sides? It's I haven't a, picked sides either. Not really. I don't really feel the need to. It's not, you know. I think a lot of people feel the need to. I don't feel the need to, though. Well, no, I've picked my team. Yeah. And then everyone else I can appreciate. You when know, they play against each other, I find myself rooting for Barcelona, but it's more like the kind of soccer that I like. Well, I would root for Real Madrid only because Gareth Bale plays for them and he's a oh, really yeah. nice guy. So that would be my, that was my frame of reference. I'm actually going to go to the Champions League final next Saturday, which is uh, in Cardiff, uh, which is Real Madrid v Juventus, which I think will be an amazing. Do you think America game. needs a Real family? No, because I don't think it's something you can invent. Yeah. I don't think, I think it's something. I think we have the Kardashians. You do. Um, I don't think it's something you can, I don't think it could ever work because America's so big. It's so huge. It's so vast. That's ultimately, I think, the biggest problem with America is the money's on the left and the right and then all of the uh, infrastructure and the produce uh, is in the middle. It would be a lot easier and if, Calif if California was its own country and Texas was its own country. I don't know if America it'd be easier. would make more sense. Well, no, I don't know if it'd be easy, but we it's just a really flag. hard. It's a really hard thing to navigate. That I think so. It would be really difficult to have a royal family that everyone could agree on. Not that we all agree on it at home. It seems like the royal family is in the best shape from a like a scandal standpoint that it's been in a while. Yeah. It seems to be, doesn't it? Yeah. It seems it's to be. Very, it it's almost seem like, like I need, I need a Harry needs to kind of go off the rails a little bit or something. It's, it's a little too, I like Harry. It's a little too boring. It seems like he's dating an actress now. Apparently so. I like him very much. I'm a big fan of his. I'm a big fan of all of them, but you're right. It has been quite scandal free for a while. It's too bad. There wasn't a third sibling that they kind of didn't talk about that much. Who's just over there. It took seven years to graduate. College yeah. and <laughs> yeah, was getting in trouble. <laughs> a little bit more fun. Last thing, uh, you showed up alone, and I commented on how you showed up alone, and mm. you were surprised because sometimes people have entourages. Will you tell the you two story? 
Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, you were saying, oh, well, I, I couldn't think who else I would uh, be here with, really. And, and uh, we were saying how the, the people come with publicists and things like that. And I it just, I don't know, just never really felt like it's something that I need to sort of do right now. Um, and I, and we were talking about people who have massive entourages. And I, it's, it reminded me of a, there's a story where apparently uh, Coldplay were touring with U2 right at the start of the Parachutes album coming out. And that album, and particularly the song Yellow, had started to do really well for Coldplay in the UK and in Europe. And Chris Martin could feel that there was a sort of wave changing at home and they were becoming more popular. And he said to Bono, have you got any advice? Have you got any advice you could uh, just hand over to me? And he said... Um, and Bono's advice to Chris Martin was, he just said, if you're consistently going out for dinner and everyone sat around the table is on your payroll, you've probably become a prick. And, uh, and I think there's something to be said for that. You can't always just be surrounded by people who have got skin in the game that is you, you know? You've got to uh, still be a person, I think. That's the, yeah. It's a good story. Why, I forgot to ask you, why is English TV, why does America have to keep stealing from English TV shows? Uh, I don't know if they keep. Why are you guys so good at this? I Listen, we're not. I'm using a you guys, like we're It's on, very kind, like we're, it's we're very kind of you to, it's very kind of you to say that, but it isn't the case. Okay. It is, it's, it's the same on both sides of the Atlantic. We oh, only, I like to hear that. We only get the best of your stuff. Yeah. And you only get the best of our stuff. So we don't get like the, just the reams of sort of terrible television that you might make. We will just get these. And there, and there are things that American television can do that no one else in the world can do. No country, not a country on the planet has been able to crack Saturday Night Live other than America. You're right. No one's been able to do it. And believe me, countless people have tried. Uh, the notion, Seinfeld, Curb, Larry Sanders, The West Wing, Breaking Bad, House of Cards, Bloodline, Big Little Lies. It is a, it, right now, these are television shows, which this is us. Have you watched this show? Yeah. Oh my, my God. Wife's, my wife cries during <sighs> all of them. I have to, I, I feel like my heart can't take it anymore. My, my heart feels like it's going to explode when I watch it. Like it's so full of just emotion and, and love and, and, a, and a wonder at how you can make a show as deftly as that. I don't understand how it's possible. It's brilliant. Um, so I think it's a very common misconception to say, oh, you, you, we can't do it like that. It's, it's just not true. There are people making television now and people making films and people writing plays. But if we're talking about television, there are people doing it now and today who are above anything else that's ever happened in the world of television before. That are telling stories, it's inconceivable would be told on television even a decade ago. Uh, it's the most wonderful time for television is today. It's just that the parameters of what we thought television was and what it currently is and what it's going to be are blurred. So people can start to sort of freak out, but I find it nothing but exciting because right now, today... 
Content is the king. Content is the absolute king. Where a show like The Handmaid's Tale can come out on Hulu and it's just a masterpiece. And This Is Us can be on NBC and uh, Atlanta can be on FA. I mean, yeah. fuck me, Atlanta. Like this, there is there is better television being made right now in this country than has ever happened before. I think I agree. I was like last night I was watching American Gods. Mm-hmm. That show's really good. They think we're, we're just well. Also, our B plus shows are just coming out of the woodwork left our, and right. Now. Our barometer for what is good and what we uh, demand from a show now is so much greater than it ever was because the wealth of uh, option is huge. The only thing that's a worry, the only thing that worries me in the world of streaming all this stuff is I don't think, any, and I hope it doesn't happen, I fear it will, but I hope it doesn't, that we would never lose sight of what television is at its best for, what it's used at its best for, what it's its most pertinent and, po- and uh, potent sort of um, ingredient is that it can be a tool to bring people together. Yeah. It can be a tool to bring people together. And my worry is that it will become an insular experience. It will become an experience of one as opposed to an experience of five, which is the house it grew. I grew up in, which is me, my mum, and me and my two sisters, you know, my, my two sisters and I and my parents. And now television is becoming a solo project. It's a thing you do on your own. And that's the only thing that I get scared about. And that's where network television just has to um, embrace its, itself. And we hope that we will have those, still have those incredible moments like the last episode of Friends or the Super Bowl or the World Cup final. I mean, sport is the, sports sport's is- the common denominator in that. And I feel like it's up to us as consumers to make sure we still share those moments together. We're as responsible as the very people giving us the shows to make sure that these are things that we are enjoying with our loved ones and our people. Like I want to make sure that I watch shows with my son, with my daughter, with my wife, and that we have things that we will all watch together. Because if we're not careful, it will just become a one-on-one experience in your, between your phone and yourself. And you'll come into work and you'll go, oh, I've been watching this show. And they'll go, don't tell me I'm only on episode nine. And you're like, well, I'm on season 11. You know, <laughs> like that's, that's where we've got us. We, we have to be as responsible as that, uh, to that as the very people who are giving us that content. That's why I thought the most interesting thing that happened this year TV wise was SNL running the East Coast version on the West Coast to try to get everybody to see the show at the same time for the experience. Because it really was a problem where these co- we couldn't see it out here for an extra three hours and it didn't hurt the Twitter ratings. Feed. It was actually good. It was good for the ratings. It was yeah. good for mm-hmm. whatever people getting excited about the show right away. And it made me think like, as long as the networks keep saying to themselves, let's just try it. Then we're in good shape. If they, if they're stuck in that mode of no, no, this is the way we've always done it. We can't. That's when I think they we'll get in trouble. Well, my experience of working on a network, right now is uh, I've, I've seen nothing but like, look, the very fact that I'm here talking to you right now yeah. is the best example of a network going, let's just try it. Yeah. It's as good an example as one as you'll ever find. Like I am the most ridiculous appointment. And so 
I do believe that there are people at networks and I, and I believe in the power of network television. I just think it's going it, to, it's just going to shape itself slightly differently. I forgot to ask you why Jules Holland gets so many good musical guests. What is it about that guy? Because uh, he respects the artist and the music. His YouTube, the YouTube clips of people who have sang on that show for the last, I don't know how many years he's yeah. been on. But uh, if you, but it's, like, artists, it's like a who's who. Of course, but artists will respond. No one greater than a recording artist will respond to someone who they feel truly respects music. And that's, I feel like I'm not bringing this back to like our show, but that's how we got Stevie Wonder. Yeah. And Adele and, you know, Lady Gaga and, and Bruno, people who don't necessarily do that many things, is they go, oh, I see, this person actually respects the form of, of, of it and writing a song. And Jules's show is it's a masterpiece, man. It's a mark. The, the, and also everyone gets to perform three songs. It's in that beautiful 360 set. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, Joyous to watch. And now, uh, hey, I forgot to tell you that Adele, I actually had a little crush on her after the, after that segment. She's great. She's she, sexy, huh? Like she, there's some the bodiness best. about her. She seems like she'd be fun to hang out with. Yeah. I mean, we've known her a long time. My wife's known her like probably like the, uh, for over. She'll over throw them down, right? She'll get the second, years. third bottle of wine out. And, oh, she's just great. Yeah. She's so much fun. She's, she's wonderful. She's, uh, She's as good a person as you can ever meet. And what I'll tell you the most amazing thing, at a real moment, because obviously when when you're hanging out, when you're just hanging out together and stuff, you sort of for, you never forget how famous she is. You never forget how unbelievably famous she is. You do forget how unbelievably talented she is. Yeah. And she came round to our house this, a few weeks before the Grammys and she'd uh, said that she was going to do this... Um, tribute to George Michael at the Grammys and she said can I play you this and she played it to my wife and I and it was just her in the shower singing this sort of ballad version of George Michael's song Fast Love and my whole body every hair on my body stood up and you're like oh shit I, I forgot how unbelievable yeah. your voice is you know and uh it's always a joy if she's around. You had that with Jennifer Hudson too. That was oh, when man. I was like, oh, I forgot she has one of the oh, greatest man. voices well, of all voice, time. That voice will knock you over. I mean, that, that voice is insane. I think she's going to do a bit on our London shows next week. I think. I hope. All right. So the, what are the dates for London? I think we're in London the, the 6th, 7th and 8th of June. That week will be coming from uh, Westminster Cathedral Hall. It's going to be fun, I hope. I think. We'll see. Good luck. I'm excited for you. That'll be fun. Thanks, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. I Good luck with the West Ham. This is oh man, we need it. Hear <laughs> <laughs> the song about how tortured you are. It's probably a bad side. Jeez. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bless you.